0: or you can find us at our website, Medorchurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today.
1: Good morning, MPC. It is such a blessing to be with you. Whether you are live, online, or listening to podcasts later, it's such a pleasure to be with y'all. Y'all look wonderful today. And today we're going to be talking about subtle substitutes. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, subtle substitutes. We're going to read uh, one verse as we open. We're going to be reading Genesis 3. And verse 1 in the Amplified Version. Now the serpent was more crafty, he was subtle, skilled in deceit, than any living creature of the field that the Lord God had made. And the serpent, turn to your neighbor and say, Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God said, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. That sounds fishy, doesn't it? Notice how he twisted it just enough. He distorted it just enough that it sort of sounded like the real thing if you're not paying attention. He offered a subtle substitute to Eve, and we're going to talk about that today in our own lives. God, we thank you for an opportunity to come and to worship, for an opportunity to hear your word. I pray it would be edifying to the church. It would be glorifying unto you, And, God, it would be all glory and honor in your name. We praise you and we thank you. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. He twists it just enough to where if we're not paying attention sometimes, it looks, it feels, it seems just like the real thing. It seems genuine. It seems authentic, But if you pay attention, you'll notice there are some things missing, there are some things distorted that make it untrue, that make it a blatant lie. So we're going to look at this as we begin. We're going to look at this in two vantage points. We're going to look at it from a natural vantage point, and then we're going to look at it from a spiritual perspective. So first, the natural, as you can see in our graphic, we're going to have something to do with fly fishing, if no one's ever fly fished, what you do and. This is where it's really cool to me um, how God reveals, like speaks these things in my life. And I'll tell you just how it happened. It's super amazing, you're gonna be blown away. So I'm trying to learn how to fly fish. <laughs> I know you're on the edge of your seat. I'm trying to learn how to fly fish, and it is much, much harder than it looks, or I'm just really terrible at it, or some of both. So I'm trying to learn, and I'm watching this guy's name's Tom Rosenbauer. Watching him on this fly fishing video. And he's, you know, telling you exactly how to do it, this, that, and the other. So he tells you when he walks up to a stream, the first thing he did, which is the first thing I always do, he said the first thing to not do is just throw something in and try it out, which is what I always do when I first get there. Tie something on. Let's see if we can catch something. First cast. See where we go. Well, he says, don't ever do that. So now I don't do that anymore. So he said, first, just observe the fish. See what they're doing. Look at them. See if they're feeding. See where they're feeding. See where they're living, see what kind of streams, what kind of riffles, what kind of pools, what kind of little spots. Just learn everything about them. Before you throw something to try to catch them, learn about them. See exactly, see, you know, on the given day, because what I eat on any given day will vary from my mood and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure yours is the same. So he said, just wait and observe the fish first. And then the second part that he said, this is the part that really just checked me right in my spirit. He said, then, after I watch them and I learn exactly how what they're doing, I'll go downstream. So he goes down. He leaves the fish alone. He goes downstream, and he looks at the surface of the water and sees what bugs, terrestrials, spiders, ants, etc. He sees exactly what they're feeding on. And then he said, and then I just offer the closest substitute. Mm. All he does is watch them, see what, exactly what they're doing sees what they're feeding on, and then offers the closest thing that he can to the real thing and throws it in front of them. And it's just that easy. Somehow I still can't manage to catch fish, but it's just that easy. You figure out what they're eating and you throw something that looks like it. You make it act like it and presto, you have a fish. So that is the natural example. And that's exactly what the devil does to us. He monitors, he looks, he looks at what we're feeding on. He looks in our Bible reading, he looks in our prayer time, he looks in our social media feed, he looks in our hopes and our dreams and our plans and our fears and everything and then he's just like, okay, what is the closest substitute I can offer? He sees all my plans, all my hopes, all the things that I wish to achieve naturally and spiritually. He sees all the thoughts that I have for, for what I think God has planned for me. And then he steps back and says, okay, what can I offer him that will fool him, that will seem just like it came from God, that will seem just like the real thing, that will seem like a perfect opportunity at work, that will seem like a perfect opportunity at school, that will seem just like the real thing. And then he throws it out. He finds the closest alternative under the guise of something genuine, something that is real and directly from God. God. So now, let's look at this from our spiritual vantage point. Isaiah 14, verses 11 through through 13, thy pomp is brought down from the grave, to the grave, and the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How thou art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? How thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will, I will, I will, Lucifer says. Lucifer in its original text means Hylel. And Hylel, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation. Hylel says the shining one and the morning star. So that is what his name meant. It's what Lucifer meant. Son of the morning, the morning, the shining, the bright. And, and I don't know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sh- just ex- imagine with you for a second, I don't know what that looked like. I have no idea, but I do wonder, what role did Lucifer play? Because he was not the source of light, but he was the shining one. He was the son of the morning. He, he played some role in heaven, in bringing light or presenting light to earth. I don't know what that looked like, but I just wonder. He had an amazing responsibility. He was given a huge responsibility. Every single day, that was his job, to present, to bring, to offer light. (sighs) But pride came in and offered him a substitute. Pride came in, and said, rather than being the bringer of light or the presenter of light, you should be the source of light. Right. You shouldn't be the one taking orders around here. You should be the one giving orders. Do you see how there's a third of the angels that looks up to you, Lucifer? Right. You're not an ordinary angel. God's holding you back. Does that sound familiar? The pastor's holding you back. This church is holding you back. Your convictions are holding you back. Mama, and dad's holding you back. I know it sounds familiar to me, because I've seen those substitutes float by. It's holding you back. If you would just let this thing go, your ministry, your relationships with your coworkers, with your classmates, all of this would just flourish. If you would just let some things go, if you just let go of these chains that are binding you, these biblical truths, these things at your church, if you just let them go, man, you, you don't have, what you're dreaming could be possible. That's the trade that pride offered Lucifer. You should be the one in charge. Lucifer bit. So what did he get in return? He bit. He said, all right, I need to be in charge. So what did he get in return? He's then called Satan and synonymously the devil. So he went from the sun of the morning, the shining one, full of light, to Satan, which translates to opponent. He's the opponent, especially the arch enemy of everything that is good, everything that is good, everything that he used to stand for, he now stands against. The things that he used to promote, now he has to feel the full weight of those things in opposition. And Satan uh, and devil translates to mean diabolos, which is slanderous or falsely accusing. So he went from the one who was representing light and bringing light in some manner to the one who's falsely accusing, an opponent, and speaking lies, a deceiver, the father of lies. So that was his trade. That's what he got. Pride said, you can have everything, and he got absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. His desire is not to help inform you on all the opportunities you're missing in your life, his desire is not to show you everything you're missing. His desire is not to show you everything that you could have, but His desire, rather, is to substitute your God-given purpose subtly, carefully, slowly with something fraudulent, something completely false, something of absolutely zero value, something that has no trading value, death, hell. Bishop, in his commentary of Isaiah here, says that Satan knows his eternal doom, and he wants to get as many people as he possibly can to join him in that place of eternal doom. He knows exactly where he's going. He knows exactly the purpose for his life now that he's offered and taken this subtle substitute. He knows exactly where he's going, and his only desire in your life is to get you to join him because misery loves company. Now, let's look at a few examples in the Bible where we see subtle substitutes. We see Exodus 2, verse 11 and 12. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew of his brethren. He looked this way. He looked that way. He didn't see anybody, so he slew him, and then he hid him in the sand. What could go wrong? I look this way and I look. I love, don't y'all love? I mean, we're going to cut out here for just a second. Don't you love how God just illustrates things? It just makes you laugh. Like, just the humor. Like, Moses looked this way and he looked that way and he did it. (laughs) Are you kidding me? That was it. That was the process. That That was Moses' tried and true process. I looked this way and I looked that way and I did it. But how often do we do that? I know I've done that before. You've been in the privacy of wherever, and you're like, I look this way, I look that way, okay, you go, boom, you get hit by a bus. <laughs> so coming back here, Moses sought to do something about his brothers being slaved, which is great, awesome. He has a passion to do something about something that is wrong. That is great, but he took it into his own hands, and that's not so great. God's plan for you will do far more with your hands than what you could ever imagine to do with your hands. Because with God, the works that you do will be multiplied. With God, the dreams that you have will be shattered, and you will go far, far beyond that. God still used Moses to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, but look what happened. Until then, he was sent running to the backside of the desert, keeping sheep, keeping sheep. His, his purpose was circumvented for a while. It was delayed for a while. God still used him. and He still did a mighty, mighty work. But his purpose was circumvented. His purpose was delayed for just a little while because of a subtle substitute. Because in his mind, he said, well, I want to do something about it. I can take care of this right now. I can take care of an Egyptian right here, right now. I look this way, I look that way. It's all good. So... Now we'll look to Saul, King Saul. 1 Samuel 13, verses 9 and 13. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me, peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering when he definitely shouldn't have. Verse 13, Samuel said, the man of God shows up and says, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Saul also took matters into his own hands. Saul was excited and anxious and didn't have any accountability apparently and said, you know what? Samuel's not here yet. The man of God didn't show up when I thought he should, when I told him to, so I'm just going to do it myself. My parents didn't answer me when they should have, so I'm just going to do it myself. Pastor didn't text me back. Dylan didn't text me back when, I, when they should have, and I'm terrible at texting back. So if you're waiting on me, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> it's true. Don't hurry through impatience and angst and end what God is going to do through you. Because it says there, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Because of Saul's disobedience, His kingdom started to end there. There were other acts of disobedience after that that was the final straw. But we see here disobedience, taking that subtle substitute, will take what God is going to do, can take what God is going to do through you and begin to remove it, begin to take it away. Hear me this morning, I pray. Matthew 4, 8 and 9. So we're going to go to Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and he was given three temptations. We all know the story. He was told first, turn these stones into bread, and he'd been fasting for 40 days. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. Secondly, he was taken to the top, the pinnacle of the temple, and said, throw yourself down. The angels will catch you if you are really who you say you are. He said, don't tempt me. Thirdly. Matthew 4, 8, and 9. Again, the devil takes him up to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and he said unto him, all these things I will give you. Just as a side note, it wasn't his to give anyway. So that's a way to spot a fraud right away. You're giving me something that you don't own. Anywho, I'll give it all to you if you'll just fall down and worship me. The devil offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory and all the splendor within that. But I think he offered him something different as well. I think he offered him a way out as a man. I think he said, Jesus, you're, he knew he was fully God and fully man. He said, Jesus, if you take my way, you don't have to struggle. If you take my way, you don't have to die. Think about that. If you take my way, instead of dying as a criminal on a cross, you will be the king of the kings of this world if you'll just let go of one thing. And that's how it always comes. It always comes in the form of a trade, in the form of a substitute, in the form of if you give me this, I'll give you something else. If you just take a bite of this fruit, you'll be as God's. If you just let go of these standards, I'll give you this. If you just move over here, I'll do this. If you would just give me this, I'll give you that. They are subtle substitutes. So how do we spot a forgery? How do we spot a forgery in our life? Benjamin Franklin said, half-truths are often great lies. Half-truths are often great lies. An art forger that is seeking to create a believable copy of a painting will go to extraordinary lengths. Now, I went down a small rabbit hole, so you don't have to. An art forger will not only find a painting from that era and strip the canvas. So the canvas is the same age. The canvas is from the same age. So when, the, when these uh, verifiers begin to verify it, the canvas, it's the same age. He'll use the same paints. He'll use the same type of brush strokes. They'll age it. They'll put dust in the frame so it appears older. They'll dry it in a certain way so it comes up in UV scanners. They'll do all this stuff just to fabricate, just to create a lie of a painting that is incredibly valuable. Even if they do everything right, it has zero value. The painting looks like it's old. It seems like it is. It looks like the real thing. It behaves like a real thing. It could be the real thing. The documentation matches up. Everything's perfect. But there's one thing that keeps it from being the real thing is the author, the artist. It doesn't matter if it looks just like the real thing. It doesn't matter if right now, for the foreseeable uh, short future, it could be better for me. But if God didn't author it, if God didn't make this for me, It will only bring pain, (laughs) and it has no value whatsoever. So how do I determine in my life what is a forgery and what is not a forgery? You search for lies within it, because undoubtedly, when there is a substitute brought up in your life, when there is something that is put within your life from the enemy or from whatever source that is not God, it will have some lies in it. Like we've, we, we just looked at the lie that was given to Jesus, the, lie that was give, the, the opportunity that was given to Lucifer, the opportunity that was given to Eve. Every single one of them was either worded in a way that was purposefully to deceive, or it was an outright lie. So to tell a lie, to tell a subtle substitute, you just have to look in it for some lies. Now, this is not deep, but it is true. If something contains a lie... It is not true at all. All right? right? So if you look at something in your life and you begin to see, well, this is a really good opportunity. This is a really good thing. But it only has a small thing that doesn't line up with God's word. Throw it out. The entire thing. Don't save it. Don't try to, to take pieces of it and add it into your life. Take the entire thing and throw it in the garbage. Because it has zero value and it does not belong in a child of the king. The most believable lies are those that contain the most truth. The most believable lies are those that are the hardest to sniff out. Well, all this stuff seems true. All this stuff seems to be right. It must be true. The enemy will plant seeds and ideas in your mind attempting to derail your purpose. He'll speak things in your life. Attempting to drive a wedge between you and God. This is something my wife and I have experienced personally in our lives. We've experienced something similar to this. In our own prayer time, prayer time, the enemy spoke something to me and my wife and has several times. But this particular instance, he spoke something to us that created huge amounts of damage, incredible amounts of damage. In our prayer time, y'all, you you hear me clearly, prayer time, the time I was alone with God, the time my wife was alone with God, the time we were safe, the time we were hearing God's voice speaking things in our lives and developing us in in certain ways of spiritual maturity. He He was molding us and the devil stepped in with one, a few words, one little sentence and derailed us. Like it just, it threw us into a loop in our prayer time. So it had to be God, right? That's where you spot lies. Well, it's in my prayer time. has to be true. I recognized this, this ideology while I was reading my Bible. It must be true. I recognized this while I was what a fill in the blank. But you have to spot lies. And we saw it, and I'll tell you, we sought spiritual guidance from Pastor and Sister Gail. And what they told us just opened our eyes immediately. How did it leave you feeling? It left us feeling fearful, not wanting to go pray, I'll be honest. If that's what I hear when I, want to, when I go pray, I didn't wanna hear it again. So I was fearful, I was, I was a little hesitant. We were hesitant to get back into God's presence because that's the last thing we heard while we were there. I said, well if it left you feeling fearful and wanting some distance between you and God, it was not from God. It was not from God. Because God didn't give me the spirit of fear. I know it's simple, but it it just didn't happen. So if we can draw out that distinction, we throw the whole thing out. So if I can make the distinction in my life, what that evil word spoke to me left me feeling fearful, depressed, anxious, not wanting to get into his presence, everything about that's a lie. It doesn't matter how much truth it contained. It doesn't matter how real it felt. It's a lie. It's a flat lie. So we informed the devil of what a liar he was, what an idiot he was, and we went right back to God's presence. And that's what you have to do. You have to, in essence, as Elder Brother Gill says, lay a straightened stick next to a crooked stick and move on. Don't argue with it. We didn't go to prayer and say, Well, this wasn't true. So what we're gonna do is said, Nope, that's a lie. Devil, you're a liar, you're a deceiver. See you later. I'm going to God's presence. And that's what I encourage you to do the same. Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. This is how you spot a fake as well. If it doesn't have any of these things a lie. If it doesn't leave you feeling more joyful, more hopeful, it can make you feel a little anxious in your flesh. But if you know deep settled peace within you, then you can know it is God. Stand with me if you would. This morning, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that there are things going on in your life and I don't know exactly what they are. But some of you are being encouraged by things that are not of God. Some of you are being encouraged and being offered subtle substitutes, being offered things that are just almost the truth, but they're a full lie. If, if something contains any bit of a lie, it is itself a lie. So fear is just a counterfeit of faith in your life, The depression that is in your life is a knockoff of joy, of true joy. So if there's something in your life that leaves you depressed, it is a subtle substitute of something that God wants to do in you. If there's something that is leaving you anxious constantly, it's trying to take this peace that passes all understanding and trade it for anxiety. They'll seem like easy shortcuts but they are not the way that God intended you to go. So I want to encourage you. Your purpose is immeasurably valuable. It is so valuable to God. Don't trade it for anything. Don't trade it for short-term satisfaction. Don't trade it for the easy route. Be on the lookout for things that seek to devalue you and that seek to change what God has planned for you. I want to encourage you today. I know it was a little bit simplistic in nature, but it's exactly what I felt. There's a few people that this has hit home. And I want, I want everybody...
0: Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord we would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.